Hey friends, you're listening to the LifeScan Learning Lab edition of the Get Balanced Podcast with me, Dr. Donnie, and my co-host, Chief Todd LaDuke, episode 150. Welcome to the Get Balanced Podcast with Dr. Donnie. If you're a firefighter, law enforcement officer, or emergency medical professional who would like to improve your family relationships, your physical and mental health, and want to have success at work and at home, well, this show is for you. Welcome to the Get Balanced program. Let's get started. This meeting is being recorded. Hey, welcome again to the LifeScan wellness center i butchered that one up <laughs> okay hey yeah, that's what usually me gosh okay you know what it's this numbness in my whole jaw right? i just got a root canal this morning <laughs> okay we're gonna take a little pause here and i'm gonna re- restart hey friends welcome again to the life scan learning lab edition of the get balanced podcast with me, Dr. Donnie, and my great co-host, Chief Todd LaDuke, also the Chief Strategy Officer of LifeScan Wellness Centers. Todd, let me kick it over to you for, I think this is going to be our last guest recording in 2022 and, and another great guest that you have in our lineup today. So let me kick it right over to you. Thanks, Donnie. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hard to believe uh, we're taping this and uh, uh, 2023 is uh, right around the corner. So uh uh, happy holidays to all of our our loyal listeners and, and our audience out there. Um, we've got a we've got a great um, topic of discussion today. It's it's one I don't think we've we've touched on uh, you know previously in the last couple of years of um, episodes, and it's um, you know it really speaks to the the power of social media. So our our guest actually um, is Dr. Patricia Reina. Uh, who's affiliated uh, with a center on uh, uh, brain injury out at the University of Oregon. And how we met was um, she actually reached out uh, to myself um, over social media. Uh, So I'll put a plug in for those of you that aren't on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and all the other uh, alphabets of social media. But um, and, and saw that I had uh, published some some articles and uh, some work on traumatic brain injury um, in first responders. And um, ironically, uh, the timing couldn't uh, have been better um, for our listeners out there. Um, we've got a, a large uh, grant that uh, the International Association of Fire Chiefs took the lead on, but uh, a lot of stakeholders, uh, organizations, the IFF, uh, National Volunteer Fire Council, uh, and many, many others, NFPA, um, all came together to support. So we're, we're waiting on hearing from our friends at FEMA. Hopefully uh, that will be funded. Um, so I want to, again, uh, introduce uh, Dr. Uh, Rayner. Thank you for taking time not only to reach out, but uh, to uh, agree to come on and, and talk about this issue on our podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And um, as I mentioned before we before we started, we've got guests from all over, um, not only the United States, but uh, the globe internationally. And uh, so if you would um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I I know you shared with me um, that you've got a little bit of fire service in your in your blood. You're a volunteer firefighter, I believe. Uh, But tell us how how. 
your journey has taken you, how you got involved in this issue of traumatic brain injury, um, and some of the work that you've been doing on it. Absolutely. So, yes, early on when I was younger, I was actually a part of the volunteer fire department. And so was my husband. We both volunteered. And then we also became certified emergency medical technicians and did that together as well. I went ahead on and had family and he continued in with the fire department. And also after that, he became a North Carolina State Highway Patrol Master Trooper. And that is kind of what has led me to talk about traumatic brain injury. My husband was injured in the line of duty, sustained a brain injury in 2009, which is about 13 years now. And he was investigating a collision on the interstate and he was rear-ended at 75 miles an hour and he sustained a severe traumatic brain injury requiring 24-7 care since injury. So it was quite a shock to the family. And what I didn't know uh, that I know now was that there were very few resources in the United States to help injured officers rebuild after injury. I had no idea. I had no idea that we would be fighting for his medical care. I had no idea that there would be no supports available. I knew nothing. And so it was a complete surprise to find that the total lack of supports. And so during the process, um, I did continue on with my education. I consider that therapy during all this time because I needed to keep connected with the outside world while still taking care of him at home. And so I completed um, my BA and two master's degrees and my doctorate. When I found out that there was no research in the country on injured law enforcement officers in the United States, they do this in other countries, but we're really lacking in the United States. And also there is zero research on those that care for them, their caregivers, their family caregivers. This is also true for firefighters. Uh, so in my study, my doctoral study, I actually included veterans, law enforcement officers, and firefighters, caregivers of all three of those service-oriented profess profession professions, excuse me, because I didn't want to leave anybody out. And because, as we know, there's a lot of research out there on veterans and what happens after traumatic brain injury, we can kind of relate that to our first responders in this country when they sustain a brain injury. However, our first responders do not have the supports and interventions that they need, and there's nothing out there for the families. So I found myself really in a, I said, I really felt like I fell off the planet and trying to figure out what can we do to make a difference? And I said, what can I do to make a difference through research? So my doctoral dissertation um, was able to, we took an online intervention for family caregivers, and the object was to see if that online intervention would increase knowledge about TBI, self-efficacy in taking care of a person with TBI, and increase hope, because I think hope is the key, hope, 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 we need hope. Even one spark of hope can make a huge difference in anyone's life, and especially in the life of our injured and those that care for them. So what I found was um, that in the group of veterans, overall, overall in the group, research results showed an increase of knowledge about TBI and self-efficacy and caring for someone with TBI. However, in the group of law enforcement officers, there was an increase of all three, knowledge, self-efficacy, and hope. 
Hey, Dr. Raina, if you would, mm -hmm. uh, self-efficacy, yes. um, just as to make sure that we all have an understanding of that. My understanding <laughs> when I use the word self-efficacy is the, yes. it's that confidence that you have that, that when you actually apply a skill that you've learned that you're going to, you expect a favorable result. Now that that's exactly sort of my understanding. Just want to make sure that that's where you're. Exactly. That's correct. Okay. So it would be having the feeling like as if you have the ability to care for someone with traumatic brain injury, increasing their perception of their self-efficacy and caring for the person that they're caring for with traumatic brain injury. And we know that increases in knowledge increase self-efficacy. And when caregivers, the research has shown that hope is related to their self-efficacy. So can we increase their self-efficacy and then increase their overall hope? And also, um, it's interestingly um, interesting to note that we do know that there's high numbers of suicides within first responders. And research shows in other countries that traumatic brain injury is associated with higher suicidal ideations. And one study that I read a couple of weeks ago also noted that suicidal ideation also increases in caregivers of those persons with TBI. So we can look at that and know that if we know that somebody has a line of duty traumatic brain injury, then we could put supports and interventions in place knowing that their suicidal ideation will be increased as well as their caregivers to see what we can do to mitigate that. And also within the same study, it showed that hope thwarted suicidal ideation. So how can we increase hope in this group to thwart suicidal ideation, but also help them have a productive life after injury? Wow. Um, you know, I, 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 I almost, I'm ashamed to to admit, uh, but but you know, as we were talking before we started the the podcast, <clears throat> you know, as you as you pointed out, there's been a lot of work done on on CTE and total brain injury and in both the military. I know um, some of our professional sports uh, and NFL is really focused on it. But one of the areas I, I think we fell short um, within the industry is is even. Um, I can't even imagine what, what you and your family have gone through um, with, with such a devastating um, injury and, in, in, you know, it's life altering, no doubt, um, is the resources for the caregivers and uh, the family, because that, that um, really, um, you know, I think as a, as a service, we sometimes forget, um, you know, we, we don't do that great of a job um, taking care of each other sometimes. Um, but we oftentimes completely neglect um, the family. So that, that's amazing um, to hear. Um, you mentioned a, a resource um, that, that you have out there that's online. Is that something that um, if our listeners are maybe know someone or they themselves are, or have a colleague or um, a loved one that has TBI, is that something that they can access? Yes, it's free. It's um, at Center on Brain Injury Research and Training. So that's CBIRT, C-B-I-R-T. And if you look up their family support program, it is available online and it's free. And it's for family caregivers. It goes through 
how do you care for somebody with a traumatic brain injury? It actually gives examples of what you could do. It actually helps you to increase your knowledge about traumatic brain injury. And you get to see professionals discuss ways to deal with some of the outcomes or the behaviors caused by the TBI so that the caregiver has the resources in order to know of some way to deal with that because these injuries, they're catastrophic, but they can happen in an instant. So we're not prepared for these. Okay. Nobody is preparing to have a traumatic brain injury happen in a line of duty uh, or anywhere for that matter. And brain injury, it doesn't matter what age you are. It can happen to anyone. So in an instant, your life can change. And many of us do not have the instruction, the education, the resources, the background previously to know how to deal with this. It's really, really hard for families of catastrophically injured first responders in the middle of this injury. We're also dealing with a lot of the grief from the loss of the person that you knew. Uh, The person that you knew could be completely changed between the time they left that morning and the time they come home. And that's really, really difficult. A lot of the families that I have met across the country in the last few years, especially within the law enforcement community, many of those families have dissolved. They no longer are together. And what I have found is that there are not, there are no resources to keep these family units together where veterans have a tremendous amount of resources out there to help their family units. There is nothing within the first responder community, not even, you know, how would you, even like marriage retreats, um, how do you have a healthy marriage when you have one person that has been catastrophically injured, such as with TBI, and are not able to contribute? Okay, how do you continue to deal with uh, behaviors associated with traumatic brain injury? Not only with the adults, but what about the kids? These kids, um, are becoming caregivers at a very young age and it is it is very difficult for them i do know of some families who have lost children to suicide after their um, first responder was injured and the resource need is so great that i wanted to be a part of that by at least doing what i can do for as long as i'm still here to lay some foundation in the research, first of all, because we need to have the foundational research in order to move this agenda forward and get the funding that we need in order to have programs for our families. Not only that, I truly believe we can't wait for those programs to come along and for that funding and grants. I mean, we have to do something collectively as citizens in this country to support our injured um, first responders that protect us right here at home. And I truly believe that we can be creative and we can think outside of the box and we can actually have retreats. We can have workshops. We can develop something because most people don't know, number one, that this is going on in the country and there's no supports. We think in this country, when we have an injured officer or even an injured firefighter, that they're going to get cared for for the rest of their lives. Everything is set. They're all good. That is not the case. They get thrown into these systems of care where they, They can have worse care than the average person with health insurance, and you're going to fight for it the whole way. I had to fight for my husband's care for five years just to get basic care because 
there was no education on what a traumatic brain injury is. If you have an amputation, you're missing a limb. I can see that you have an injury. You're missing your arm, your leg, or whatever. If you're in a wheelchair, I can see that you can't walk. With traumatic brain injury, they may look okay. And that doesn't help them get the care they need because other people will say, they look okay to me. What do they need? The other thing that we can do is provide uh, ways for them to rebuild other than, see, some of these uh, first responders will not be able to return to work. We, they need alternate programs to do, such as, um, for example, adaptive sports, which is what my husband has rebuilt on. On what I found was though there were very few organizations that would take first responders. They had to be veterans. This is the thing. Veterans have figured this out. We talked about before the show a little bit about not having to reinvent the wheel. We do know what helps people rebuild after injury. Now, all we need to do is apply what we already know to this unserved population of people. And adaptive sports is a really great way to rebuild after injury. Not only do they get back out into life with something that they used to do, maybe they do it a little differently, but they can still do it with help. Not only that, families, even children, build new supports across the country. They have new family units, new friends, because what happens after injury very often is nobody knows how to deal with you anymore. Okay, people that used to know you no longer know how to be around you. So you really have to start over from the beginning and rebuild a new life after injury. And we really need the resources to come forward. Now, we need the research to come forward to hopefully press the agenda forward. And we need people to think out of the box, creative, you know, creative creatively. How can we create these interventions that don't exist so that we can give one glimmer of hope? If we, guys, if we can give one glimmer of hope to an injured person and hope thwarts suicidal ideation, hope does so much more than that. Hope really gives you a reason to continue on. One measure of hope. And we can do that. We can absolutely do that. No, I'm, I'm thankful we have uh, folks like yourself with with the passion and, uh, and the tenacity to remind us, right, that, uh, you know, all it takes is uh, I, I used to have a, uh, a mentor that when I uh, started training for a marathon or half marathons, remind me just all you have to do is put one foot in front of the, the next, um, you know, yes. so sometimes you know, uh, the old adage, you know, you, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. So, uh, you know, having, having, you know, resources, whether that's peer support programs or uh, resources that you mentioned uh, online uh, that people can access because you, you really are, I'm sure, at a loss when something like this happens. Uh, so we, uh, we're fortunate that um, your your passion is is leading us in the the right direction. You know, I wanted to you mentioned the whole um, nexus with head injury and behavioral health. Um, mm -hmm. Not only not only suicide, um, but you know, first responders have a whole conundrum of behavioral health um, challenges that they yeah. often deal with: PTSD, substance abuse, yeah. alcohol abuse, um, chronic stress. Um, mm -hmm. And it really, um, when you when you look at the uh, such high prevalence, 
Um, and we think of sometimes total brain injury as um, catastrophic and maybe as in your husband's um, case. But what are your what are your thoughts? It, it seems to me as well that, you know, the third leading cause of injuries in firefighters is um, head and neck injury. Um, uh-huh. Just even minor injuries, minor head trauma, but being repetitive. Right. Because that's the job that Absolutely. we do. We don't even want to acknowledge we didn't lose consciousness, so we just get up and get back at it. But what <clears throat> on you know the the impacts of even even seemingly minor but repetitive head trauma? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, my husband was also diagnosed with post concussive syndrome, which what I noticed personally was that his symptoms continued to progress over time. Um, for versus him getting better, I noticed that his symptoms got worse over time. What we do know about post-concussive syndrome is that repetitive head injuries don't make things better, okay? We, we, they don't. They increase the chances of some of these um, outcomes later. I know somebody mentioned earlier Parkinson's or um, early onset dementia or Alzheimer's type diseases with these concussions. And the, but one thing that, that caught my attention when, uh, in the question was this, they're hesitant to speak about these things for fear of not being able to return to duty, right? And I think this is what, what one of the key issues is. And this is the same thing, if you think about it, with, the, with um, people that are suicidal. They hesitate to discuss their mental health issues for fear of judgment or repercussions of not being able to return to, to their job. And at some point we have to get past that to be able to say, look, this is, um, this is not abnormal for somebody with traumatic brain injury to have suicidal thoughts or somebody with concussion or somebody that's seen the trauma. Let's just talk about the trauma that first responders see every day, the trauma, the PTSD that comes from that. Well, we have to make it a climate to where they can openly talk about these things without repercussions. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of people still today don't want to discuss suicide out loud. It's not something they even want to talk about. We have to talk about this openly so that we can convince even ourselves it's okay to have feelings you have the feelings and it's okay to get help with it. And it's not something that we have to hide. So I think that I've got to hide how I really am doing. I've got to put, you know, we all have our, it's funny. We've talked about this before. We all have our mask that we put on in public. Okay. And then we have who we are at home. Okay. Every single one of us has a mask that when we go out, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Okay. We may not be good and we may not say so. But when can we get to the point as a society that we can support each other when we're not doing good, okay? When we're not doing well, when we're having issues without repercussions of losing our jobs or not being able to be on the force any longer or being being deemed unstable, um, when in fact it is something that is recoverable as far as you can overcome those suicidal ideations. You can work through mental health issues. You can work through behaviors um, from traumatic brain injury and get better, but we have to be able to be authentic without worrying about what might happen. I agree with you. And, and I th- just give you my two cents worth. 
on the podcast for this is that I think when we when we think about and it, a lot of it words words matter, and the words we use in a, in our society and our culture definitely matter. Like for me, I rarely accept the D on the end of PTS. Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe personal opinion, but with you know with some research, of course, that post traumatic injury. It's a much better word choice. Right. Because when we think of an injury, we automatically think of it will heal. Mm -hmm. Sprain your ankle, you injure your ankle, your knee, it heals. A disorder appears to be a label that is, has permanency involved with Mm -hmm. it. And so it's just simple, you know, little twists like that. And when we talk about mental health, you know, it, it, uh, I bring up often is that, if we think about, uh, I just went through the extensive uh, life scan learning lab or life scan wellness centers uh, physical. Um, you know, I know everything there. Well, I don't know everything about me, but boy, I sure know a lot more about what's going on inside of me than I ever knew. But when was the last time we took a preventive mental health checkup? Mm-hmm. Right. And if you even think of the healthcare plans, that come from employers, you know, and even the, uh, the care act of Obamacare, you know, where zero pay for a preventive health checkup, but nothing has to do with, you know, we could start trying to get mental health checkups. So it becomes right. part of the norm. And then if we start thinking of mental health as not the mental health challenges, but like, when we think of fitness, we think of our physical fitness, we think about exercising and building our fitness strength, our endurance, and all of that. I think we could turn a corner on mental health and start thinking, how do we build our mental health fitness strengths, and all of that we talk about the resiliency and hope, you know, your hope, that's a big part of it right there, right? Mm -hmm. Self efficacy, actually having that big mental health fitness character you know, attribute of it. If you think that's what I think, you know, I think part of it is, is uh, I, um, I, I applaud and, and what you are doing and leading the charge on here that, um, and I, I hear you when you start talking about the caregivers and now I understand your comment before we started taping about, do I do a workshop for caregivers? No, I, I get that now. Cause that, and I mentioned, yeah, it could be a whole different workshop. So I will toss out there on the record here of the podcast. I would love, I would develop a workshop uh, for caregivers around the country that we could do on a uh, zoom in a classroom that I, we could do a workshop together. And uh, I need to research some stuff on that, that would be great thank you but, it's desperately uh, needed yeah it is it it's uh it, it reminds me a little bit of when i work with uh organiz- people that are caring for an elderly parent in the home that requires mm-hmm. a lot of caregiving and that there are other aspects of their roles in life go down the the tubes quite a bit so um, absolutely and unfortunately with this group of caregivers we expect almost as we get older that, as you mentioned, we'll be taking care of our parents or we expect that as we get older, what happens with these first responders who are really in the prime of their life, 
Mm-hmm. And most likely probably in the middle of their careers and having young children and what have you, it's a shock. And what the resources that are out there, the resources that are there are mostly for older persons p- taking care of the elderly, as you mentioned. We really do need the resources for taking care of our first responders. They have an entirely different mentality as well. Um, those first responders, I can tell you this, if my husband could be back on duty today, he'd be out there. He loved his job. And so they are also grieving a loss of their profession and the love of their profession. So, you know, you're, you're dealing with this life change or caring for this person who's been injured and also providing that support um, pretty much alone. No, I think uh, we talked about this before we started taping to just the the power of um, partnerships and, and, you know, figuring out where those gaps are. And and sometimes it takes, you know, voices such as yours that have unfortunately, um, you know, that have lived this journey. But, um, you know, sometimes out of tragedy comes um, good um, in, in having walked in that those shoes you you see where those gaps are and um i know you've got a great resource in dr donnie to to maybe collaborate with with you and help uh he himself you know has served uh, uh, our country in the military he's got uh, children um that are first responders so uh um i, I just want to say you know uh, to you personally thanks for all you're doing uh, to our listeners out there um, in your own departments, whether you're law enforcement, military, fire, uh, our emergency uh, workers across all the spectrums, um, you know, um, look within your agency um, and see um, what resources um, you you have or maybe that you're lacking because it's not a matter of if, um, it's a matter of when, unfortunately. Um, you know, prevention um, is always, you know, the name of the game. But uh, un- unfortunately, we uh, in service in our professions, um, it's inherently comes with risk. Um, as we're taping this uh, this week, uh, thoughts and prayers go out to uh, the family uh, and the men and women in New- of the New York City uh, Fire Department, the FDNY, um, who just lost uh, a member from a traumatic uh, head injury. Um, so, uh, uh, this is an issue. It's real. Um, it's one that, uh, um, we, we have to be prepared for, um, Dr. Um, Raina, I want to, as I mentioned before we start taping, I want to be mindful of your time and, and, uh, I know it's, um, you know, for our listeners, this is, uh, maybe the first time they're even hearing, um, this, so, you know, they're digesting, um, some of the information in today's episode, but I want to ask you because you've had, um, as you said, you've had a, a pretty, um, I guess, by your own choosing, or unfortunately not, diverse um, journey, both prefer, uh, professionally and uh, personally, um, that's impacted you in, in many ways, I'm sure. If you had to give um, to our listening audience out there, whether it's on a personal note or a professional note or some intertwining of the two, um, some advice, um, some wisdom, what, what might that be? I think that the most important thing is don't ever give up. Keep 
pressing on no matter what happens. I also want to say that help is on the way. There's a lot of good people out there right now working on these very issues. And we just need to keep pressing on together, building these partnerships. There's a scripture in um, Job 24, 12 that says the soul of the wounded crieth out. And I, I say that to the wounded. I have heard your cry. There's a lot of people that have heard the cry of the wounded. There's a lot of people that I believe God is calling to this very effort to meet the needs of the wounded. So everybody out there, I would just say, hold on, keep pressing on, have hope. And also, if you do know somebody that's injured and you don't know what to say, go sit with them anyway and say nothing. Simply be there for the injured. That would go a long way. Many of our injured feel like they're alone. Many of them feel forgotten. Uh, many of their families are suffering in silence and they they don't have to be alone. We can be with them even if we don't have all the answers. Just giving them love and support is a huge help. That that is some great um, some great you know advice and uh, you know sometimes um, whenever whenever you have to uh, you know I know in in my years in chief whether it's deaf notifications or injured members or sometimes you struggle with what is the right thing to say you know and how do you put that all together in, in your mind and communicate it in an empathetic and caring way but sometimes like you said sometimes the best advice is just being there um you know and letting letting people know that there's a network and they have resources and they have people that care about them so Thank, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, I know this has been a powerful um, discussion today. Um, we'll continue to have this discussion because I know um, work is, is continuing not only to evolve, but um, continuing partnerships like, uh, um, like we've talked about today and, and uh, others are, are uh, forging to, to address as much um, needed issues. So I want to thank you and I want to wish you and your family a, a blessed and safe um, holiday and uh, a great 2023 um, and to continue the work that, that you're doing. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to the partnership and Merry Christmas and have a great new year. Only good things are coming. You know, hope is on the horizon. Very nice. We can be hopeful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Merry Christmas, Merry Dr. Rana. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, if you're a firefighter, law enforcement officer, or EMS professional who enjoys this podcast and would like some help with your work-life balance, you need to check out my Get Balance program. Not sure if you are balanced or not? Join me over at DonnieHutchinson.com and take the quiz. Together, we are going to get you balanced.